Goodness gracious. Thank you, Brooke. It is so exciting to have you on the leadership team as a pastor. And uh, it's true. She's been pastoring for years and years and years, but it's just official. And so we're so thankful. Good morning, River Church of the South Bay. It is so good to be with you, especially those of you. Come on, Brian Johnson, it's good to be with you. It's always good. The, especially those of you who are, you're newer, or maybe it's your first time. Uh, there's just so many cool faces and wonderful people, and there's just never enough time. But I just want to say it's an honor to share this space with you in this time. And um, I'm just going to start. I don't have like a good transition. I'm just going to go. Uh, when I was in high school, high school, I went to Redondo Union High School. Any Seahawks out there? There's some Seahawks. All right, right. I know. We've got some Seahawks in the house. They all congregate right here for some reason. But uh, I, I was at, my zero period class was surf class, which is my favorite class. You get up at 6:30 and you go uh, meet most of Pier, park in the old Mermaid parking lot. Remember the Mermaid? Ah, the Mermaid. Um, and and then surf. And then I would take my wetsuit, you know, take it off and and change and, and just stick it in my trunk. Just put it in the old trunk of my Geo Prism. It was a white Geo Prism. They don't even make them anymore. They were so classic. They're just, they don't even make them. They don't dare. You don't improve on perfection. They just stop making them. My Geo Prism. <laughs> and, and then I'd go to class. And I'd go to class and I'd sit through class and do my thing. And then that afternoon, um, as soon as class is over, go down to Hermosa Pier, check the surf again. If it was fun, suit back up, my wet wetsuit, and then surf again and then put it back. And then that way it's there for me the next morning, right? So like over amount of time, and it wasn't that long, the wetsuit, you know, sitting all day long in the parking lot kind of, it, it begins to grow. It begins to germinate. An ecosystem develops in and around it uh, that is, there's a sense, a sense of smell that you notice it. And, and so what I did, my solution was pretty brilliant. Go to the gas station and buy those little those little Christmas tree scented things. You know what I'm saying? You know what Anita gets it. You know those things, right? And so you hang it on there, and that problem solved. We're good to go. And then rinse and repeat. And the wetsuit just becomes its own thing. And then more Christmas trees. And pretty soon you have, like, you've bedazzled with a baker's dozen of those Christmas trees. And the smell is still kind of making its way through. But you put the new one on, it's a little bit fresh, and you forget about it. And then... We've been doing this series on ecclesia, right? We've been doing this series on ecclesia. And there are so many, ecclesia is just a Greek term for gathering or church. And there's all these rad things we've been talking about and can talk about. The exciting roots of the church and uh, where the church can go and what the church, when it's fully functioning, can look like. But I think for any of you especially that have been in and around the church community for more than five minutes... Like sometimes there's that little, there's a, there's a smell. There is a wet, molding wetsuit in our history. In our trunk, in the trunk of this thing we call church, there is something that it would be so much easier to not look at and to just pass by and keep it positive. And I'm a positive person. I have a positive, optimistic bias towards life and the world and church. But I've been a pastor for 22 years I've been in the church for all of my 40 years. I've entitled this sermon today, Church When It Breaks Your Heart. If it's your first time with us today, you came in a weird day. 
I'm, I am super, I'm, I'm super emotional about this. And I had to tell a funny story at the start. I, I've been crying through worship. I've been crying through preparing this. Church, when it breaks your heart, Some of you are in here today and there are scars on your back. Some of you have experienced spiritual abuse. You've experienced heartbreak. You've experienced exclusion, misunderstanding, even betrayal from the one place in the universe that should be a bastion of love and acceptance and care and healing and health. So what do you do when the church breaks your heart? And I'm not just talking like historically, which we could do. We could go through it. I'm a church historian. It's kind of my thing. That's what I do full time. And believe me, we don't have to go far to see some deep pain. But church today, there are so many headlines. There are so many podcasts. So much conversation in and around the pain that the church has caused and the engines of dysfunction that are fully charged and fully lubed up and just roaring in so many spaces that call themselves followers of Jesus. And then it would be so much easier to say, but that's those churches, that's those naughty ones, those bad ones. But we're the good boys and good girls here at the River Church. So if you have been hurt by the church, come here, and it's all good. It's not a problem here. We are, we are just so healthy and beautiful. And so this morning, my prayer, and I'm going to pray again, my prayer is for a prayer of honesty. And my prayer, the biggest message that I've been hearing, and I'm normally not very in tune with the Spirit. I'm just not going to lie to you. You want that? You go to Lynn Woodruff, okay? She's like, like she goes on walks with the Spirit regularly. My wife is like fully in tune with the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. I'm normally not very good at that, but I have been overwhelmed, and I'm just saying it. I've been overwhelmed with the sense that there is a need for healing, and I can't get a national movement going. I have zero presence on social media and zero interest to have a presence on social media. But I believe that right here in this space, in this weird configuration, this constellation of people and lives, that what if God could be, just create a small oasis of healing for us? So I don't know what that's gonna look like. I have no clue. But that's been the emphasis on my heart. So I'm gonna pray one more time, Lord God. I pray as we think about the brokenness and the pain that has been caused by churches and by us and by me. Lord God, be with us now. We need hope. We need truth. We need life in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, okay, so my, my number one strength finder, y'all done strength finders? Anyone done strength finders? Okay, we got one person. The Johnsons are really delivering today, by the way, in terms of audience interaction. They're really delivering. Thank you. <laughs> so one person's done strength fighters. All right, there's two. You, you know what? Also, okay, so we have the wings of the, of the church are, are on fire today. Uh, my number one strength finder is context. Is that interesting? Now, I'm a hist I have a PhD in history, so kind of I guess it makes sense. Like, history is kind of something I think about a lot. But context is really important for me. So any problem, any crisis, any pain, my first thing is always to say, like, I want to understand this sort of as a 
tile in a larger mosaic. Like, where does this fit and where does this go? And this morning, if you're with us, especially if you're checking out church for the first time, like I said, you're coming at a very weird day. You came at a, it's your fault. You came at a weird day, okay? No one made you come, I don't think, but you came. So this is very much like you are going to be sort of at family dinner, kind of checking it out and seeing like, what is it we talk about in this weird place called the church? And I want to have a conversation, especially like between those of us that maybe you've been at church for a while. And especially, this is the, the laser focus for those of you that have hurt, have pain, that has been produced and experienced in church or by church, okay? So this is, this is for us, and, and I put myself in there, both as a perpetrator and as someone who has been hurt by church at different times. And so I want to start off just with context, a very brief context, and then move through. There's three things today. Like I said, I'm deeply emotional about this, but my goals are simple. One is some context. Two, what... What can we do as a river community? And three, is there hope? Is there healing? Is there hope? Is there healing? If so, where? Um, and so there are a number of letters we've been looking at, many of them written by a dude named Paul of Tarsus. And I want to start off looking at one of the letters. I want to give some context because sometimes we get a little bit nostalgic if you're in and around the church, you consider yourself an insider of this Jesus movement to say, I want to be more like the early church. I want to get back to that purity and that cleanliness and that wholesomeness and that real crisp vision for human flourishing and community that we call the early church. And so there's this sort of nostalgia about it. And I want to look at one such church. This is in 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to hopscotch through it. You can turn there to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but I'm not going to read a lot. I actually want to do some summarizing and leave it for you to enjoy after the service or at some point. But so Paul of Tarsus writes a letter to this community. And let's just, let's just start with the first three verses. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. So he writes it together to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be a holy people, together with all those everywhere who call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he addresses this to a community in this isthmus city called Corinth, and he calls them hagios, which is a term, if you're the Hagia Sophia, like it, Hagios, it's a term for uh, holy. He calls them saints. So he writes a church to these saints, one of the earliest windows into the church that we have. This is before the Gospels were written. This is before Revelation. This is before a lot of texts in the New Testament were written. This is a window in and one of the clearest pictures to community life in a church that we have today that survives. Okay, so that's what we're going to be experiencing really quickly. Where does it start? Chapters 1 through 4, immediately he addresses, there have been divisions. I've heard that there's divisions among you. Some of you are saying, I follow Paul. Some of you are saying, I follow Cephas, Peter. Some of you are saying, well, I follow Jesus. I don't follow any of these other people. And 
Some of you say, I, I follow Apollo. So there's this deep division that's going on in this church, which seems innocuous enough. Who cares? All right. They have favorite speakers each week or something like that. But it goes even deeper than that, um, where some people are doing these status-based, like, I'm better than you are. This speaker has, this speaker has more education, and they're looking to human leaders. And so that, that's something maybe we all can experience. It doesn't seem that painful, right? Not that big of a deal. These saints are doing okay. Then you go to chapter 5. An important leader in the church is sleeping with a stepmom. Record scratch. What? You weren't listening to the sermon. You're like, okay. I'm listening now. Keep going, pastor. Finally, church is interesting. <laughs> and Paul says, y'all got to do something about this. You can't just watch this and be cool with it. It's probably someone that's in some sort of a position of power. Otherwise, if it was just it's kind of a low-status member, they'd probably check that immediately. But it's probably someone who's got a lot of influence, maybe a big checkbook, and there's a little bit of fear to actually address something that's so obvious in such a stench. And they're like, ah, we don't really want to. Can we just avoid it for a while? Can we put another one of those Christmas tree scented things up and pretend like it's not happening? The next chapter, and by the way, who does he, who does he say needs to be a part of righting that wrong? He doesn't say, get your leaders together and have a leader meeting. He says, when y'all get together y'all, all y'alls need to do something about this. This is something you do as a community. Chapter six, he's talking about these people and there's a minority movement in the ancient world are taking one another to court, which isn't just like, like Judge Judy or, or some like small claims court today. In the ancient world, court was inc incredibly public and, and the goal of court was to slander your opponent and thus win the case. It was all ad hominem, it was all slander for the most part. And he's like, you're taking each other to court? This is ridiculous. It's like a public display of some of the ugliest relational activity. And then later on in chapter six, he has to address a bunch of dudes that are going to brothels. Not exactly a great thing. And he has to tell them, like, y'all, this isn't something that's okay. Verse 11, there's these I mean, chapter 11, there's these meals they're having. They're calling them Jesus meals. They're saying, we're doing a Jesus meal. But what they're actually doing is most likely the rich folks are coming together first, eating and drinking. Some are getting stuffed and drunk. And then when the poor people and the slaves in the, in the Christian community are finally able to get off work and show up, there's no food left. And they're kind of like, look at these losers. And Paul says, you're shaming them. This is not the Lord's Supper. Verses 12 through 14 during the actual worship service, they're fighting for the microphone. And each person's trying, it's my turn now. I want the spotlight. This is time for my platform to build it. Using these gatherings to further their own individual fulfillment and agendas. And Paul has to correct these. My point with this, this isn't just in 1 Corinthians. This is in, you go to Galatians, there's a deep ethnic divide. Literally, people are not eating together based on their ethnic backgrounds. In uh, chapter, in Romans, the greatest maybe Pauline letter that survives, people love it, they celebrate it. One of the goals of that was to help a church, again, a, a different ethnic divide along different lines, but he has to deal with it and say, y'all are one. You can't be doing this. The point I'm trying to make is this. If you're nostalgic for New Testament churches, beware, they're populated with hominids. They're populated with human beings. Like, it's it's, there has not been that I have seen the utopia that I think sometimes we want to imagine. 
It has always been the dirt and drama of human beings seeking out God. What? How can we? Le- how can we live out this thing we call faith together? And these are some extreme examples. But notice Paul still calls them saints. He still says y'all are set apart, and they're doing some jacked up stuff. So. This isn't an, I'm not closing with this point. This is not an encouraging point. This is kind of discouraging, actually. Like, oh, great. So there's no hope. There's nowhere to go. Not the past. So maybe some imagined future. That doesn't seem likely. So my point with this, though, is to provide a little bit of context. Um, this is not something new, unfortunately. Unfortunately, it is not something new. And so I want to um, move to a second question. And this is specifically for all of us as a community. What can we do as the River Church? What can we do with the dysfunctional behaviors that manifest themselves in church? And if you've never experienced that, it might be because you've been on kind of on the outsides of things and and you've seen the glossy, shiny, filtered version of stuff. But there are there's pain. Whenever you get humans together, there's going to be pain. And there's been some really painful things in the church globally, church locally. What can we do? The solution that Paul gives the Corinthians is in 1 Corinthians 13. So he, this is his solution to them. And they were jacked up, like really messed up. He says this. If you want to turn there, you can. If you want to just hear it, you totally can. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have agape, I don't have love. So if I'm the most eloquent speaker there could ever be, my podcast has 200 million followers. People are dying to hear words that flow out of my mouth. They hear me speak and they say, boy, I feel encouraged. I feel life. I feel excitement. If that's my attribute, If our church has the greatest teaching team in the universe, but I don't have love, I'm a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. In Latin, you call that a sin qua non, that without which. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, what if the River Church of the South Bay was a community that was populated with people that really understood some of the greatest mysteries in the universe and that you could come to with your problems and your angst and your questions, whatever the the topic, and you would know there's a forest of solid oaks of prophecy here that are going to be able to speak into it, and I will get clarification, and I will get wisdom. My gosh, how amazing would that be? If I have prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, what if the River Church was a community where we had so much faith that when we got together to pray, we saw like miracles explode out of it. There were things changing in space-time that were inexplicable to our normal means of explaining things. What if that was, no, seriously, think about it. What if that's what we did? What if that's how we rolled? Would that be a church you would want to be at? I sure would. Great speakers, prophetic gifts, brilliance and mystery solving, and like a faith 
that shakes the core of the earth. If I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, imagine that. A church, and let's face it, you, the South Bay, poverty is generally speaking not one of our deeper challenges, at least in many of the communities. And I would suggest in this community, I don't know that we are, that many people are wondering where their next meal comes from. We have a lot of wealth here. We have abundance of things. What if our church, like what if we all lived on 10% and we, we gave 90% away to the poor? And it just sort of became our reputation. Like this is the church that empties themselves out every single month financially and invests in those who deeply need it. Would you want to be part of a church like that? <laughs> There's Anto, my man. Anto, you. I would want to be part of a church like that. That would be exciting. That would be amazing. If I gave all I possessed to the poor and I gave my body over to hardship that I might, that I might be able to boast about it and say, listen, I gave myself my body over to hardship, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Like this is so critical and I don't want us to miss this. What can the River Church do about the grinding gears of the church machine that wrecks lives sometimes? Well-intentioned people that somehow get together and a momentum begins and it's so toxic. And you're like, how do all these well-meaning people get together and turn a blind eye to this or actually participate in this, that, and the other and leave folks empty, scarred, and alone and bitter, and this is the truth, especially in my generation and the generation after me, leave the church and say, I'm over this place. I'm tired of it. There's nothing here for me. I've been hurt too bad. I've been cut too deep. What can we do about it as a river church? Okay, here's what, we, here's what won't really matter. Amazing vision, incredible strategies, growth. If we grew, if we doubled every week, we just became this church that doubled every single week. If we had the most exciting retreats, which they are exciting, and we had the most incredible worship, and we had a social media reach that just reached out to all the cyberverse. We ruled the metaverse. It was ours. If we had all this stuff, all this influence, but at the heart of us is a toxicity, then we have just built a bigger network to poison. That's exactly what we've done. We have built a bigger network to just sicken people and give people a worse taste in their mouth as soon as they get a little, like, wait, I smell that. What is that? It smells like a rotting wetsuit. And it's broadband to 100 million people. Paul would be really clear. He would look us in the eyes and say, no, you don't understand. You literally are wasting everyone's time. Worse than that, you're contributing to something toxic. I wish you actually weren't doing that at all. He tells them this in chapter 11. He goes, I actually wish that you didn't even meet. I wish you just met in your homes and had your meals there and didn't try to come together. Because when you come together, it is not the Lord's meal that you're eating. You're actually hurting each other and you're looking down on those that need encouragement. So what can we do at the River Church? I was reframe that and say, who can we be? And here it is. What if we were the most loving community? And that was our focus. That was kind of our main thing. 
before any strategies and before we read any new books, we literally say we just want to be a church that is so loving. And if we can even get close to that, we're going to call that success. We're going to call that success. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It's not boasting. It's not proud. It's not dishonoring others. It's not selfish. It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep a long record of wrongs. It's not walking around telling its sad story to every person that will listen. It doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices in truth. It always, here's a good one, it always protects. It is the first place to put its arm in front of someone that's hurting and say, no, not on my time. I will not allow you to hurt this person further. I'll be the first one to stand in front of someone who is being hurt. And that even means people, by the way, who we don't agree with fundamentally on worldview issues, on issues of life or morality. We're the first community to say, no, I'm not going to allow them to be targets for other people, especially in the name of Jesus. We're just not going to allow it. This is what love looks like. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. And then Paul goes on to say, and love doesn't ever wear out. There's no expiration date on it. You can begin practicing it now, and it grows into forever. So the phrase, I, I, the question, I, or the suggestion I would make is, who can we be? Who can we be? And I would just say, like, let's lean into what we've been talking about. Let's truly say, like, on this beach, in the five minutes you have, ten minutes you have with different people, what if our first thought when we come to church isn't, I wonder who's speaking to get today. I hope it's good. Or I hope the songs they play in worship are really cool. Or I hope we don't look like weirdos to all the people running down the beach. Don't worry, we do look like weirdos. It's too late. I'm up here. But what if our first thought was like, how can I just love today? What, what can I do that would be maximally loving? If we all did that together, or even like I would say, even if a fifth of us or half of us, and I think a lot of people do, by the way, that's a church I want to be at. That's a healthy place. I would be a change agent. The last thing I want to do, and this is, the, this is what I want to kind of land on, and this is the more emotional part, um, is there hope? Is there healing? This is the sad part of this message. This is the part that makes me want to cry and makes me, does make me cry. It's, it's sadly so many people that I wish I could just like lift their chin and look them in the eyes and, and share this with are not here. They're not sitting here. As a matter of fact, when they think about church, there's a visceral reaction. There has been pain in their life, a, an arrow shot somewhere deep within them, broken off, and then it's festered. And that arrow has on it a little cross that someone etched in in the name of Jesus. And that makes me so sad because I just want to share this with them. And I'm not in, under any illusions, they're going to look us up online and be like, let's see a sermon on when the church breaks your heart. But if they're listening, great. But I want to say this to all of us here because I also know some of you are here and maybe this is a time of healing for you. You're just checking it out and you're like, I've been hurt before. I'm dipping my toe into the water of this community and, and I hope there's healing. Or for those of you that have been here for a long time and you have faced the gauntlet of pain, is there hope? Is there healing? Some of you might be saying, yeah, James, this is all well and good. Nice theology, cute use of sermons. I love the wetsuit illustration. I can really smell it as you talk. But you can't imagine the abuse and pain 
that I have faced. You cannot imagine the hurt that I have faced. It's been so deep. I have students that come into my office hours. I have heard stories that are so horrific, that are so horrific. I, I, I wonder how is it you could even be here at a Christian university with what you faced. And I know, I know enough of you. I know enough of your backgrounds to ask that same question. Like, oh, how can you still stay in church with the pain that you face? Is there hope? Um, as I was starting the sermon off, I, I, was, I was writing all these stories. Like, I'll change the names and I'll change a little bit of the situation and, and you won't be able to guess exactly who it is. And I, off the top of my head, immediately had like 20 stories just flooding into my mind of times when I, James, have been a victim of church abuse, of pain, of hurt, of someone in the name of Jesus doing something jacked up. And I'm writing them all, okay, how do I tell this one? How do I tell? And I realized very quickly, like, we can all probably do that. And there is, by the way, a space for that. There is a place to have a community where you gather together and you could vent, especially as you're processing through it. You have to have that. This is not a gossip circle. This is not a, let me tell my story to everyone who will listen. Let me post it on Facebook or post it on Instagram and let everyone know how bad it's been for me. No, this is a circle of people that you could say to and go, I need to bleed a little bit. I need to cry. I need to get this pus and junk out of my heart. And I know you people are safe and you will listen. You need to have that. Absolutely. But um, I am convinced, and Luke, your sermon... Where's Luke at? Luke, your sermon last week, like Bray and I have been reflecting on it and thinking about it, and it struck so deeply because you basically took everything else off the table, all the tools, all the knickknacks, all the approaches, all the strategies, all the allegiances, you took them off the table, you threw them, and you said there is only one name, there is only one source of hope, there is only one leadership, there is only one allegiance, that is it. And if you look anywhere else, you're going to be running dry eventually. And I just have to share one brutal story. I'm gonna share one painful story. This is what I'm gonna share about abuse. People gathered in the name of the people of God. Mark chapter 14. And you can just listen if you want. Verses 32 to 50. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray, please. He took Peter and James and John along with him. He began to be deeply distressed and troubled, and he said, Jesus said, Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death please stay here with me and keep watch. He just asked him to stay awake for a little bit. Just sit up with me. Going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed, if it's possible that this hour might pass by. He said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He returned to his disciples. He found them sleeping. Simon Peter, are you asleep? You couldn't keep watch with me for one hour? I need you, Peter. I just need you to sit. That's all I ask. That's it. Watch and pray you don't, so you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. One more time he went away and he prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. They're fumbling through this thing. 
called following Jesus. Returning a third time, he said, you're still sleeping enough. The hour has come. Look, the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one, one of the 12 who saw, who, who saw Jesus heal little girls that thought their life was never going to be the same and watched them come to healing. The Judas who watched Jesus care for those who had been outcast give kids back to their parents when their parents were in the darkness of grief and say, here's your child. Let them go jump rope. The Judas who saw Jesus take nothing and give everything, that Judas came to him with the crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests. Judas said to this, the crew, he said, when I kiss this man, arrest him, lead him away under guard, going to Jesus. Judas said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And the men seized Jesus and arrested him. One of those standing near Jesus drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And Jesus said, am I leading a rebellion? You've come out here with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts. He didn't arrest me there, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Verse 50, and I think the saddest verse in the entire Bible. Then everyone deserted Jesus and fled. Everyone deserted Jesus and fled. A few verses later, Peter denies him three times. It says one of his disciples was wearing just a cloak and someone grabbed it to round up his disciples and bring them to justice and he ran off naked. He was so eager to get away from Jesus. Jesus knows. Jesus understands. I'm just here to tell you that. I am so sorry. I am so sorry that the church has hurt you. I hate that. I hate the pain that it has caused. I hate the pain it's caused in this world, and I hate any time in the name of Jesus something toxic happens because of our stupid human agendas because of our pride, because of our arrogance, because of our stupid, rigid junk. I am so sorry. There is nowhere where you're going to find healing. There's no church. The River Church is not going to do that for you. I wish it would. I wish we were angels. I wish we could sit and hold you, and it would be the place where you go, finally, a human community that is the utopia. It's not going to happen. I really mean this, and it's what Luke preached last week, and it's the same thing, and it's so simple, and it's so simple, and it's the only, and that is that it's, you've got to give, give it to Jesus again and again and again. And when you're in prayer, and when you're struggling, and when you're frothing with anger, I want you to picture him in that garden, absolutely alone as the lips of a beloved disciple kissed his cheek in order to say murder this man he understands he really does and so this morning um, if that if there is an infection inside of you and there is pain and there's hurt and there is bitterness that's well, it's been sort of given a, a name. Maybe even you've identified yourself a little bit as a victim. You've become friends with that fact. And you said, no, I am this. This is part of my story. This is part of who I am. I'm not going to minimize it. 
I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm sorry for it and I'm lamenting with you for it. But I promise you, there is no healing outside of Jesus. There's just not going to be. And so um, we're going to have communion in a minute. And I have a couple songs. I'm going to race to the back and pluck it in my phone and put on. Um, but Corey Timboon, this amazing, uh, anyone know who Corey Timboon is? Anyone heard that term? Yeah, she was the survivor of the Holocaust. She was put in a concentration camp for hiding um, her Jewish neighbors and for caring for folks that were being rounded up and discarded. And when asked about forgiveness and how does she forgive these Nazi guards that were so cruel? And she frames it like this. She frames it like forgiveness. Jesus gives you the power to forgive, but like a bell that rings, bong. There is this leftover gonging that happens. And you'll hear it sometimes. You'll forgive the person that hurt you. You'll forgive that church that hurt you. You'll forgive me if I hurt you. And I thank you for that. And then a month later, or a week later, you feel it again. Oh, I'm so angry. And Court Timbin would say, that's just the echo of that gong. Give it back to the Lord again. And again, and again, and again. So when we play this music, there's communion. The blood of Jesus is represented there that was poured out so we can actually be free from a life of bitterness and the bread representing his body. But I was thinking about this. This might be a good morning for some of you in the music place to just go on a walk. Maybe even write a name in the sand and watch the water wash it out. Or maybe sit back and have some people just pray for you. And I'll even give that opportunity right now. If you're in this audience, you don't have to give details. You don't have to say a darn word. But if you want just a few people around you to just pray for you, they don't even have to get details. Just pray for you because you have faced spiritual abuse and church abuse. I, I want to ask you if you want to be courageous. You can raise your hand right now and during communion. Watch what happens. There are going to be some people around you just going to pray for you. So if that's you, I want to be courageous and, and take, take advantage of the moment. There is healing available. That's you. So feel free. Slip your hand up. Not a big deal. Um, or maybe go take a walk or pray. So I'm going to put some music on. We're going to take some communion. And, and I really pray that we could become a place of healing because we are going to the healer. To the healer. So with that being said, I'm going to put some music on. <laughs> 